0: So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. My guest today is Tiffany Hahn. She teaches ambitious and capable women how to raise their hands and say yes to the lives they want for themselves and all the things they want to do, be, and say instead of overperforming for the sake of a life that someone else dictates for them. Tiffany is a coach, a writer, and a podcast host and is on a mission to teach super achievers how to put their striving on the shelf. And radically infuse their lives with delight, serendipity, and deep trust in themselves for lives that feel as good on the inside as they look on the outside. She's the host of the Tiffany Han Show podcast, formerly Raise Your Hand and Say Yes, which is great. And it's in its seventh year with over 1.8 million downloads. And I love her podcast. I've been listening to it for a long time. She has interviewed Holly Whitaker, which a lot of you know from her book, Quit Like a Woman, and Glennon Doyle, which I am shocked and amazed that you talked to her. That's so cool. Who wrote Carry On Warrior, Untamed, and Love Warrior. So you should take a listen. And Tiffany quit drinking back in 2017. So, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll be five years in January. That feels pretty wild. Yeah, I quit in February 2016. So, I just hit five years back in February and it is cool. It sort of feels big. It's a big milestone, but also is just kind of the new normal. So, it sort of mm-hmm. passed the day without all the fanfare.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always try to remember my, I think it's January 4th. It's not the first. So I always try to, I always try to like make a, make a note to mark the day if I can, and just kind of be, take a, take a minute to celebrate it.
0: Yeah. And I have to say, I will link to it in the show notes, but uh, one of your podcasts that I absolutely loved was the one you recorded at your one year um, sobriety or after you quit drinking, I thought it was just a really great reflection of why you decided to stop drinking, you know, and what your life is like now and doing it in a really positive way of in terms of like, I removed alcohol, my life is a lot better.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. it's, it was interesting before I quit drinking. I couldn't imagine my life without alcohol in it as as often is the case um so i and and when i quit drinking i it was kind of by accident that i quit drinking like i didn't intend to quit drinking i didn't intend to quit drinking permanently um and so for me it was this very kind of this beautiful unfolding to be in the experiment when i first for everyone listening i i initially decided to experiment with quitting drinking for a year um to see what was possible for my life and it was only a few weeks into that that I realized that I needed to quit completely. But yeah, I I always thought that quitting drinking would feel more like a punishment than kind of the beginning of something really beautiful.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, I love that as well, because you don't realize how small drinking keeps your life while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And for me, just the stress and the anxiety and sort of how slow I was moving to some extent throughout my life because of like sort of being dragged down by hangovers or not feeling amazing or kind of sitting on my couch with wine was incredible to me how much more I could enjoy life without it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually feel like I was probably moving too fast with the drinking and that the drinking was part of what helped me cope and kind of deal and be in the like, go, 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 go. Instead of Knowing how to slow down and really recognize what it was that I that I really really wanted to be doing, um, and to have that life that you don't need, you know. And and again, life is not perfect um, by any means <laughs> at all, right? It's not this way. Of like I yeah, know everything's amazing all the time, but to, and I think Holly talks about this in in her book that like the goal of something like sobriety is to build a life that you don't need to numb. That you don't need to numb out from, or you don't need to check out from. And I think for me, that was something that I've definitely felt is that I now can cope with things. And I design my life in a way that I don't need alcohol in order to like get through the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And th- we should talk about that because there definitely are some adjustments. So wanted to talk to you, I reached out to you because a lot of the women who listen to this podcast are sort of like this combination of overachievers and people pleasers that like awesome sort of gold star girl want to get it all done, want to multitask, and then are coming home and they want to multitask relaxing too, right? So I can like drink my wine while helping the kids with homework or doing the dishes or you know jumping on my email after the kids go to bed to keep working and you talk about you know how we can stop overperforming for the sake of the life that someone else dictates and i think a lot of us are going through our lives overperforming and then want to check out with alcohol
1: and and we don't even know that we're overperforming right because for so many of us We are taught from a very young age that especially women, um, we are taught at a very young age that the way to be successful is to do everything and do it very well and do it without causing any fuss and do it while you make sure that everybody else in your life is comfortable and, you know, be the right kind of noticeable Um, right. So, so all of, we're we're taught to play all of these roles. And I think for me, again, if you had asked me before I quit drinking, if I was performing, I would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's amazing. Everything's great. And it wasn't until I was able to quit drinking and look, look at all of the things that I thought I needed to be doing. And, and also the way that I thought I needed to move through my life that it became very clear to me that I was not making deliberate decisions, that I was trying to be all of these different things and play all of these different roles. And, you know, the the people pleasing, um I have a a good friend named Nat Lou. She's a podcaster out of Britain. And um she came up she does a lot of work around boundaries and saying no and really deliberately showing up in your life. And I had her on my podcast a couple of years ago when we were talking about people pleasing. And she pointed out to me that people-pleasing is actually manipulative behavior. And it completely blew my mind because I think for so many of us who are trying, that we are like just trying so hard that we could say like, oh, I'm a people-pleaser. But it it's almost this thing of like, I just want to make sure everyone around me is happy, huh? right? And we can view it as like a good thing. But when you when you're really able to like break it down to its component parts and be like, in fact, you're actually trying to like change somebody else's, you know, opinion or outcome and, and just really see it as a manipulation is like, Ooh, there's a lot of dark stuff going on there. So, and, and I also think, right. Like this is all being said with massive grace, because again, it's not that like you're doing it wrong. Right. I think for so, for so long, actually, the part of the way that we design our lives is not wanting things to be quote wrong. But when you have to look at like who benefits from us, performing and being burnt out and drinking those three glasses of wine every night and kind of checking out, like there's a whole systemic thing happening, it's not just that we aren't being deliberate enough about the way that we design our lives.
0: Oh, my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head-on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media. But the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com. Dot com with promo code hello that's happy m a m m o t h dot com and use promo code hello for 15% off your first order. Yeah, oh my gosh, there is so much to dig into there that I want to ask you about, especially when you said at the end who benefits from it. But first, I wanted to ask you, like you talked about some tangible ways that you needed to sort of change the way you were showing up in the world or the things you were doing can you tell us about what some of those were yeah i mean fundamentally like
1: the big thing for me that that changed a lot when i first and what what made me realize that i think drinking needed to kind of be out of my life altogether was that i was generally happier like my mood was a lot more positive right and and when i looked at it like oh i'm not Routinely consuming a depressant, like that makes sense that I would wake up happier. Um, I was sleeping a lot better. I wasn't eating like Cheetos at midnight because I needed that snack before I went to bed. But it also was the other things that started happening right. And for me, sobriety was like a completely spiritual journey as as I think for a lot of people. But I started to really listen to myself, really get in touch with my anxiety, really get in touch with my anger recognized that there were, that I had just spent so long ignoring my feelings and and maybe not even recognizing that I was having feelings because I was so good at living in the story that alcohol was the balm for whatever it was I was feeling, right? Like alcohol was how I soothed. So it became this whole thing of like, oh, I do have anxiety. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, my anxiety, nobody's going to think that it's a problem because my anxiety actually serves a lot of other people in my life really well. Um, Oh, that makes me angry. Oh. And then, you know, you think about blame and you think about like, there's just so much. And I think that, that what I really learned was how to be in the room with whatever was showing up for me that really I could, I could face and be with anything. And for so long in my life, I believed that alcohol was the magical ingredient that helped me celebrate or be angry or be sad or be uncomfortable or connect with people or relax. Like I, I didn't know that I could do it without the alcohol. And so that was a really big revelation for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I like when you said that, like, you're, you know, you realize that you have anxiety, you kind of have to find a different way to cope with it. I had the exact same experience. I, was always anxious and when i stopped drinking the anxiety came down quite a bit but i was still left with this baseline anxiety that i probably lived with my whole life and was sort of self-medicating for but you said two things earlier one was who benefits from us overperforming overworking and then you mentioned that the anxiety that you had it served others in some ways which i can imagine you were always thinking through everything and on top of everything and checking every box, even though you were sort of having this toll taken on you. So how did you recognize like who benefits and the anxiety and sort of shift that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think just like sitting with the question, right? And looking at it and and really getting getting honest about it because it's easy to think like, oh, my family benefits when I'm super anxious. And it's like, do the but do they do they really? Um, you know, I can definitely look back on jobs I had where, you know, I did a great job at work. And then one day I had to go lay down in my car in the middle of the day, because I thought I was having a heart attack. And I would have to every three months, like take two or three sick days because I had such bad insomnia because of my anxiety and my drinking, um, (laughs) that (laughs) I, I would just not be able to function. Um, not from being hungover, but from like my sleep deprivation. Right. And I was I was in my mid-20s. Like I it was not the toll that it was taking on the inside of me. I wasn't showing it, but it was definitely happening. And and I think that what we have to do is really redefine who the authority is in our lives, right? Is that is the function of my life to do well in school and get promoted and get promoted again and get promoted again and have the money and and like again check all those boxes or is there something else and i think that i just want to be clear right it's not that i'm saying that like if you have a job and work for someone else that that's bad or if you do well in college that that's bad but it's it's about what is the motivation is it you know i do a lot of work with people around personal values is it attached to your values and is it intrinsically something you want or is it something that you've been taught to want and it takes yeah. time to really sit with those questions
0: I love that because I discovered that too when I when I stopped drinking and and also when I became a coach and one of the the work that I did around core values was realizing that you know when I was working, you know when they ask you in that interview question like, what do I need to know about you? What are three things? And I was like, I am competent, I am responsible. you know those were how I define myself, right? Like I'm a good team member. And it wasn't until I did the core values work that I was like, is being competent really one of my core values? Like it actually wasn't. It was what like my parents wanted, like what they valued. And I sort of internally sort of made that mine. And yet it wasn't what made me happy or fulfilled.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I always, I love doing values work with people because they always, they always want family to be their number one value always. And I'm always like, no, you can't have family. Um, <laughs> and and people will be like, but, and I'm like, what is it? Right. So for me, my number one value is integrity, mm-hmm. which informs a lot how I show up to my family um, and how I show up to my relationships and my commitments. And for me, part of, part of my journey has been learning that um, often there's tension when I'm trying to decide between being an integrity to myself or being an integrity to other people. Um, And for a really long time in my life, the other people piece won out over integrity to myself and slowly over time. I mean, I've been doing I've I've been sober for what four and a half years, but I've been doing values work for longer than that. And so slowly over time, it's a practice of really learning and questioning and and learning, too, that like you can choose yourself first and nobody comes and takes it all away right? Like everything actually gets better. Um, Even though when you first start to practice that, it feels really scary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. I know. And I hear women all the time um, say, okay, well, my core value is service or like serving others. And that just isn't mine. And I've had clients be like, wait, but you're a coach. Like you help women quit drinking. I'm like, Yeah, you know, I really like value happiness and adventure and connection. I feel like the connection is what is what um, I really gain out of the coaching work and helping them as well. But um, the connection is what is what serves me, what lights me up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk about one of the things I loved was, you know, you coach and you teach highly ambitious, highly capable and highly overextended and overcommitted women. Um, and you talk about how the old paradigm of how to approach our lives isn't cutting it anymore. And so what is that old paradigm?
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of, I think what came out from like the women's liberation movement, right. During the seventies and eighties, like you can have it all and you can, you know, have the family and do the thing and have And, And, you know, maybe, but like what happened was we were told to have it all and do it all, but no support systems were put in place to support that, right. To help that. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's like, we don't want to let people down. We want to, and, and it's so I, there was a study that I read a few years ago that they had looked at how how much time mothers spent like actively engaging with their children. And they were comparing like maybe 2015 working moms to um, stay at home moms during the sixties. And what they found is that the 2015 working moms spent like considerably more time with their kids than the, than the working moms from the sixties. And that was just so telling to me, like, Oh my God, we, this is not sustainable. Um, and yet we think that we're doing the right thing, right? And and for a lot of us, it's like, well, then what do I do, right? How do you prioritize when everything is a priority? And part of the problem is that we've been told everything is a priority. Um, it also, when you're in that place, it can feel very all or nothing, right? Like you've got to be the best employee, parent, PTO, wife, podcaster, have a side hustle, friend, family member, like cook as you can be. And, and um, again, that's impossible. Right. So often people will ask me like, how do you find balance? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think we're asking the wrong question because whenever somebody starts out the conversation with how do you find balance, the underlying presumption there is because I'm doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can just allow a lot more grace into the conversation and say like, I don't know that balance is possible. I feel very imbalanced most of the time, but I also feel at least like I can be in deliberate choice about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was smiling when you were, when you were talking about that, because I don't know if you know, Christy Coulter, she's a writer who wrote nothing good can come from this. And and a friend of mine from Seattle and in her, she wrote this viral essay called Anjali about this old perfume commercial, I think from the 70s. But it was like the idea of this woman um, could, you know, basically bring home the bacon, cook it up in a frying pan and never let him forget he's a man or something like that. And she was like, when the only rational thing to do is like pick two and outsource the third kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. And, you know, I just thought that was funny because, you know, we every time we're going to work, we often feel like we should be doing more with our kids. And when, then we're like, oh, shoot, I need to connect with my husband more. And I should be, you know, every thinner and, you know, work out more and run a marathon and all this shit. And, you know, it's to some extent, no wonder that we want to check out.
1: Right. I mean, alcohol is really the answer. And right. Like who again, who benefits? Mm-hmm. Right. Like massive corporations benefit. And so it is, I think, a really it can be extremely jarring and inconvenient to a lot of, especially for those of us who, you know, I quit drinking when I was 30, 36, I think. So, you know, I have 36 years of, I mean, I wasn't drinking for 36 years, but I had, you know, all of these years of relationship structures and patterns and habits and friendships are built around. These things. And I think that it can be really jarring for even other people in your life, right? When all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, are we renegotiating? Like, what's happening? And and it's also easy to think, you know, being someone who maybe can feel a need or starting to tiptoe into that need of like, this is going to be really hard. And because we've been numbing for so long, everything feels like wildly uncomfortable. So that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit BetterHelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's better help. H E L P.com slash someday. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I just did a podcast with my husband, which was a really interesting conversation that we haven't had before about like, my drinking and life after drinking and quitting drinking from his perspective, like what he observed, what he felt, you know, how much he was aware of, not aware of, et cetera. Mm -hmm. He sort of drinks casually, you know, um, not like I did. And we've been together for like 23 years. So a very long time. Um, And so it was, it was really interesting as part of that. But part of it was also like, when I was drinking, I asked less of him, right? Because I didn't, you know, feel like I was above reproach. So, you know, I didn't like look over him at, at him and be like, what the hell are you doing? You know, kind of thing. It was sort of like, to some extent, like, don't ask, don't tell you, you know, you can do less because I'm here on the couch and feeling like crap in the morning. And, and also when I stopped drinking, I started going to therapy and I sort of required more of him, more childcare, more picking up the kids more, doing the things that I used to do. And so it was this renegotiation of, you know, suddenly I was aware every night and I was up every morning and I was like, dude, you're sleeping till 10. what the you know? mm-hmm. but it, and that wasn't completely fair because, you know, suddenly you get your shit together and now you're looking over at the other person and changing the rules.
1: Yeah. And, and changing the stakes of like, you're not the same person that that he entered into the relationship with. Right. And, and I think that all kinds of things change people, right. I mean, having kids changes you and, you know, different life circumstances change. So it's not just that this happens with drinking, but I, I do think that there is a, there's an invitation there and an opportunity to, to look at what else is possible with relationships specifically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, so tell me about how you help women through this process. Like, do you have, you know, exercises that work really well? Or how do you help them start even evaluating what's working and what's not and what's driving their decisions?
1: Yeah. So I um, primarily work with people through a year long program. And I, I've recently gone through like an, a bit of an evolution in my business, And so this program that I'm going to start teaching in October, it's a new program called Grown Up Gap Year. And it really is a chance to, um, again, put your striving on the shelf and step into a new, like really build a new foundation for your life. The place where we always start is with values, because I just think values are so integral to anything that you want to do. And I also think that they become these really beautiful compasses for decisions you make and also for when you're feeling dissatisfied, right? Anytime somebody is like not sure about something or they're not really feeling something, I always say, start with your values because that's going to tell you what is out of sync or maybe two of your values are in conflict with each other, right? Maybe you have a value of freedom and you also have a value of security and you don't know, do you stay in the job or do you take a month-long sabbatical, right? Or whatever. But It's really designed to help people not necessarily like completely check out of their lives. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying people can't have responsibilities, but it's about turning your energy back onto yourself instead of giving, 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 doing, 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 and hoping that eventually you earn the right to be able to relax.
0: Yeah. I love that about earning the right to be able to relax, because yeah. that's super common. So I know what a gap year is, but some people listening to this might not. So can you tell us about that concept and how you sort of evolved it to the grown-up gap, yeah. <laughs> gap year?
1: So traditionally, a gap year would be you know a year taken either between high school and college or after college before looking for a grown-up job um, where somebody might travel or Work odd jobs or just take time to like really discover themselves. Um and the the grown-up version of that is, you know, we we sometimes think like, oh, well, I would love to have a life that feels delightful, but like, I don't know. I'm just in my house in Colorado with my kids and I can't like up and move to Greece. That sounds great. And and Really, we get stuck in this very all or nothing thinking. And um, what I have designed is, and the reason it's called a grown-up gap year is that it's not about having no obligations, right? It's not about quitting your job and having no job and no no family or whatever it is that like you have to take care of, but it is about saying you also belong in this story. And not only do you belong in the story, you're an integral part of this story. And it's time that you started showing up like that. And really for so many of us that are the, the super achievers, uh, we could like really phone it in a lot and everything is going to be fine. Right. So it's sort of that way of like, you know, if you were in Greece for the year, would you look at Instagram for an hour every night before bed? right? So um, it's an invitation to bring that energy into your life, but without having to go live in another country or sell your house or move to a different neighborhood or all of the things that we tell ourselves um, that we have to do in order to start feeling good in our lives.
0: Yeah. And I totally agree. Like with the super achievers, you could lower the bar. And a lot of times no one would even comment on that because you're you're performing at such a high level. And that's one of the things that I really talked to the women I work with in early sobriety, right? Because I'm like, you need to really lower the bar because you're going to be tired and irritated and just this stopping drinking thing. You're processing a lot emotionally and mentally. And so someone said to me um, once, so I was always wanting to be like the A plus girl, you know, like if I got a B minus, it was really bad. Um, but you know, this person I was talking to had worked two jobs through college, right? And she said to me, like, you want the degree, C's get degrees. And I was like, okay, C's get degrees. And then you actually have time for a whole bunch else. And I know, I'm sure some women listening to this are like, "Eep," but you could for a period of time, take it down with the level you're overachieving, because if you're running around all day and then coming home and doing more and sort of resentful and feel like no one's doing anything for you or you're getting the dregs of life. And, you know, that's not good for anyone.
1: No. No. And like, if, if your entire life is an obligation, what's the point? Yeah. Right. Like what's the point? And then, and I think too, that we were like, okay, well, I'll do that for a little bit and then I'll go back to being an A student. And what happens, right, is that all of a sudden when you get some distance and you get into communion with yourself and you start tending to your spirit and you learn about discernment and you learn how to give yourself grace, you realize, like, I can't go back to that. And the things that you start saying yes to are so much more connected, right? There's so much more in integrity with who you are and what you really want. That you're able to kind of redesign your life, but not in the way of like, I'm dissatisfied. So I'm going to redesign my life, right? We're, we're approaching it from a completely kind of opposite and countercultural way that I think just brings so much more expansion and that it feels really good while you're doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of the reasons that I named my business and my podcast, Hello Someday, because I feel like for so many women we're like, well, someday I'll do that. Or someday I'll take time for myself or whenever it is. Once I, you know, once I retire or once I get this next promotion, then I will s- stop working so hard. Or once the kids are out of school and, and that day never comes like you can do it in small steps right now. So I love what you're talking about.
1: There is no someday, right? Like that's, that's like the sad fact of it is like we we have today. And I, I think that Really, like the last eighteen months has has shown us a lot of like there are no guarantees, right, and this life we live in this world we like anything could happen, so we we need to really again, like it's not about being happy all the time, it's not about being like everything's amazing and never having challenges, right, but it's it's again, it's about showing up differently and allowing yourself to be in the story instead of just feeling like you're watching life happen and maybe one day you can be a part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the shifts you've seen women make as they're kind of going through this process?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's it's so fun to radically help people like radically trust themselves, right? And it always starts out with like, wait, you want me to what, what? Oh, I can't. Do oh, no, no, no. I can't. Do you don't understand. That's what I love is like, you don't understand. I'm so busy. And I'm like, oh, I understand perfectly. <laughs> the, the most beautiful thing that happens is people get to the other side and they're like, oh, I don't have to keep living that way. Right. Like, oh, I thought that's who, that's who I needed to be. And I realize like the re the revelation that you can like let go and release And that the sky doesn't fall. I do that a lot when I'm teaching is I'll like, I have a window right here and I'll like look out the window and be like, you guys, sky's still there. Sky hasn't fallen. It's still there. Right. Um, But I think that, that for so long, we feel like everything is on our shoulders. Um, But to be like, oh, everything is still working great. And I'm having way more fun. And because I'm having way more fun, I feel closer to the people in my life and connecting with them in a different way. Right. I'm not like always like, ah, or, or just like busy, but uninspired. Right. It's, it's, I think sometimes too, it's easy to be in the place of everything's fine. And I know for me, when I quit drinking, I was not drinking at a level that anybody thought was problematic. Um, My, my husband probably thought it was a little problematic, but you know, from the outside looking in, like, it was fine. I would have maybe one or two glasses of wine in the evening. And um, for the most part, like it was not something that, you know, that that was a, a rock bottom moment that sent me to sobriety. Um, but I think that for for a lot of us, we are good at convincing ourselves that everything's fine. And if we can show up and really demand for ourselves a life and an existence that is better than fine right? And without that doesn't require us to work harder. That's the key. Um, And doesn't require us to do more and doesn't require us to be even more obligated to external things. That's the key. And it is possible.
0: Yeah. And is it more about, you know, when a woman's like, you mentioned like, oh, I can't do that. I couldn't possibly do that. I'm too busy. Is it you're pushing them to say no to things or to add things or some combination of that? Yeah. I mean, it's
1: the, the start is really like no more achieving, right? So again, it's looking at what is the energy that is having you say yes to that thing. Um, so that means like you can be in the PTO next year, right? You can volunteer to babysit for the thing next year you can do that next year, right? Oh, you cookies for the thing, buy them, buy them at the store next. Right. And so that's part of it is we have to clear the space to start and then you can start to add new things in. But if nothing gets taken away, adding more in is only going to break you. It's
0: not going to do anything to enrich your life. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard to do. I always though, I do not do the PTA. I do not do the volunteer. Like, that is just not me. But I remember when my husband, my son, my husband's actually a varsity baseball coach at a high school and has been for 20 years. So what you take from that is he really cares about baseball, Mm -hmm. right? Of course, that means that my son, um, I quit drinking when he was five. And then again, when he was eight was the last time um, my son was in baseball, but my husband was completely unavailable. And so we did a season It was like the first year of Kid Pitch. It was shockingly awful, like painful to watch because it's just like an exercise and watching someone like melt down on the mound because it's so bad and you can't get a single out. And so my husband wasn't there for all that. And then in the summer, he was like, Hank needs to do summer ball. Like it's really important. And I was just like, dude, I had a younger kid. She was two. I was like, I can't do this. I literally will not. And so he's like, well, it's really important if he's going to keep playing. And I was like. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, The Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol without white knuckling it or hating the process the course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework i work through with my private coaching clients but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching and the sobriety starter kit is ready waiting and available to support you anytime you need it and when it fits into your schedule. You don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30 day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Great, you do it. And he was like, okay, I'll do it. And I was like, nope, that means you can't go on your big fishing trip. You can't play your own ball because you're totally unavailable. And so he sat that with that for a while because I just wanted to like, sit in the sunshine and take a nap and enjoy my life. And so finally he was like, yeah, I want to play summer ball for himself. And I was like, oh, so if it's not important enough for you, then it is not important enough full stop, you know, because, and that was kind of hard to do because then of course I felt like a bad mother who was like not prioritizing my kid's happiness. But, you know, I was just like, I don't want to. And like saying no, just because I didn't want to was hard. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and, and like, this is the conversation, right. And it's complicated and it's nuanced. And I don't think that any one thing is right. I don't think that it's kids need to be in sports or kids don't need to be in sports. But again, we can operate from so much obligation. I know for us, like our girls are seven and they have not ever played sports. And part of the reason why is that, uh, My husband and I look at, we'll go to the park on a Saturday and we see the soccer practice and the little kids and the parent. And I'm like, this is every Saturday all morning. And then it's probably two days in the afternoon. And I'm like, I don't want that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it can feel selfish. And also, right. Instead of that, what are we doing? Right. We're going on hikes. We're going camping. We are. Uh, going on long bike rides and having breakfast picnics. So I think that it's about, again, it's like, what are the values? What do you want? How do you want to design your life? If my kids were like, we really, really want to play soccer. Sure. Okay. Let's try it. And also, you know, like what's the least obligatory, like how many, what, how many practices do you guys have? How many do you have? Oh, okay. I'm going to do that one because it's less, right? Like yeah. we are allowed to make those decisions. And I think that it's really important to know what energy is yeah. driving any choice you make. So, and and this is why it's less about the thing and more about what energy is driving it. So I can read to my kids every, I read to my kids every night before they go to bed. I can do that out of fear because I don't want to be a bad parent. And because I don't want them to go to a bad college or not, not get, you know, like not value reading. And I don't want to fail them as a parent, or I could do that because I love books and I want them to love books and I want them to enjoy reading. And it's a time that we get to spend together and it's kind of a really beautiful tradition. Now, either way, my kids are getting to. Yeah. What's driving me and, and how is that energy showing up in
0: every other thing in my life?
1: Yeah. And I know for me, I've done both. I've done both ways. That love way feels way better.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and it just, you know, it can vary day to day for sure. You know, I mean, we definitely, you know, my son still plays baseball. And so as he was 13, it's a lot. But, you know, when our annual camping trip with friends we've had for 10 years came up and he was an all-stars, I was like, no, we're going camping. And my husband was like really iffy on it. And I was like, a 13-year-old's baseball game does not trump this. That is truly important to me every year. Like he can miss a game. And so I think there's that balance. And then also like one of my clients who I adore one year, she was like, oh my God, I really want to drink. And she was at like four months or something just, and I was like, okay, why? And she was like, I am dying Easter eggs with my three children who are under the age of seven. And I just effing want to drink so bad. And I was like, stop dying the Easter eggs. (laughs) You know, it like hadn't occurred to her because she was like, it's Easter and my mother's coming over and we have to do this hunt. And I was like, go buy the pre-packaged eggs with the candy already inside. You know, like you said, do it next year. But if you're like really gritting your teeth and resentful and unhappy and overwhelmed, like lower the bar, right? And like lower
1: the bar to the ground, right? Like we don't really decorate our house for, we did last year a little bit for Halloween, but like we don't really have a ton of Christmas decorations and we don't, I'm not a big like house decorator because I don't want to deal with it. Right. So it's something where when we moved to, we moved three years ago and we were in a much bigger house and this is like the house where we're like, we're going to be here until our girls graduate from high school. Um, and so part of me was like, Oh, Christmas, we can like get, and I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to go shopping. I'm gonna have to take everything out of the package. And then later, I'm gonna have to put it away. And that all, it all, it all just sounded like work. Now, again, someone might be listening to this and be like, that's my favorite part of the year.
0: Yeah, okay, like good. that lights me up. Great. I care about that. Yeah.
1: But to me, I was like, I would, I would so much rather go bake 12 different kinds of cookies in the kitchen, right? Like that's, that's the thing that lights me up. And so, You know, I'm not it's like uh, identifying your way and letting that be okay, instead of, again, trying to follow this prescribed thing that says your house must be fully decorated at Christmas or you're a bad. You're not providing your family the right kind of holiday. But again, that like do my kids want to bake with me or do they want to see me stress out because I'm dealing with like tinsel and glitter everywhere and like, you
0: know. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's like that should word right every time you hear that that should be like red flag something to dig into um you know just cuz you know then you're like why and keep following that thread down like why and and what would happen if you didn't right and yeah. and, and probably like you said the sky wouldn't fall
1: no and, and some people in your life might be disappointed right like that client that you described her mother might judge her For not having hand-dyed Easter eggs.
0: Okay. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Okay. Right. And I think that that too is like a, I am, I have become very comfortable disappointing people. Um, I don't think that I disappoint people regularly, but I do know that there are times when me setting a boundary or asking for what I need does not give the other person what they need. That doesn't make me a bad person. It just means that I cannot provide that. And like, that's completely fair.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's a sign of like, of course, your values and priorities don't match everyone else's values and priorities, right? And so if you never disappoint someone else, it means you're basically adopting what they care about and like providing it for them, even though it's probably a mismatch to like what you truly care about,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I think that when i when I really realized that I was like, oh, it felt like so much freedom. Um, of like, oh, I don't need to keep tap dancing around all of these different things and trying to be all of these different things. And it it really was like, okay, that feels great. Right. And even just that permission to take a step back and really like, look at, am I the person to be able to provide this? And if the answer is no, again, it's no judgment on them needing it. It's just, we're not, we're not on the right trajectory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed a couple of times you've mentioned, I mean, I love the core values exercise or, you know, personal values starting with that. And then also, you know, what energy is it coming from? Why are you doing things? What, you know, is it for you or is it because of someone else? And, you know, I interviewed Laura McCowan who wrote, we are the luckiest on this podcast. And she does, you know, some work around what is your bigger yes. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was interesting is she's like, 90% of people come in and they're like, I need a different job. I need to change my job. And so what, what she's found through the work is that some people do that, but like a lot of people, it's not the job or the marriage or, you know, your kid it's, it's needing to find deeper meaning in the work you're doing. That is more aligned to, you know, not the should, or, or I'm supposed to do this, but rather What do I care about? And it's more like an internal shift.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always, we always have to start with the internal shift. Um, This is why I stopped calling my podcast, Raise Your Hand Say Yes, right? Is that I I was talking about that, but I knew too that I wanted to start talking about some other things and that it's not just about what are you doing? What action are you taking, right? It's really about what is that foundation of your being um, and where we can insert meaning into anything. Um, so some people need a new job because they might have a toxic boss, or it might be a really unhealthy work environment, or it might just be a mismatch. Absolutely. Right. This is not like, oh, you think you need a new job? You're wrong. Um, and also I think it's very, very common for people to think that their job is the villain and then they get a new job and then they're like, oh,
0: Yeah. Why am I still dealing with all this stuff, right? I I did that like seven times, right? Like the problem was the same job and then I'd go and like repeat the same behaviors. And of course I was drinking and the same like Mm. stress and, you know, insecurities and all that shit. So it was probably six of one, half dozen of the other.
1: Right. And then there, you know, there's a whole unraveling, which is why were you in those jobs? And why were you, you know, it's it's a whole thing. Um, But when you can say like, well, the common denominator is me, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I am the one having all these experiences, so maybe I will um, approach it in a different way. And I think that's also really important: is that we we are we are constantly told what to do differently and how to change ourselves by experts at changing ourselves. And um, you know, I'm a coach, and and one of my big things that I tell people all the time is like. I am not the expert of your life. You are. And my work is really focused on helping people find their own way into and through their lives instead of looking to me to adopt my way, because I don't think that my way is right for everybody. And and in fact, like, I don't necessarily know that my specifics are right for anybody. So instead, it's about trying to facilitate a process for people where they can then become the authorities of their own life instead of,
0: again, need it like
1: you know, being told like, this is, this is how you do it. And then I'll make sure you follow it like that. That doesn't last.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's really a process of sort of self-discovery and exploration and, and trusting sort of that inner knowing. Finding it. I mean, for some people it's finding it
1: for some people, it starts with trusting it for some people. It's just like, I have an inner knowing. Right. Like, uh, um, what are you talking about? You know, and, and getting quiet long enough to getting quiet and sitting still long enough to, to do it. And, um, really also like as much as possible, like alleviating the obligation and the pressure from it. So, Mm um, you know, people like, sometimes people are like, well, I have this five-year plan. And I'm always like, I don't I don't care about your five-year plan. Um, I care about how you feel today. Because again, we are so good at like projecting our fulfillment onto the future. And when I'm in this role and when I lose this weight and when I write this book and when I get to this level, then I'll be happy. And I really think that the energy that we infuse into things is can inform what they produce. Um, So if we are showing up resentful and out of obligation, you know, we're you might have a momentary blip, but essentially you're going to wake up the next morning and be the same person that you were the day before. Um, And I, I don't ever want someone to get to that place
0: and be like, what have I done for the last five years? Yeah. Um,
1: That doesn't feel good.
0: Yeah. And when you were talking about that, one thing I thought of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Danielle Laporte and the desire map framework, but the one thing that I I thought was super interesting from what I've read about her work is the idea of we keep doing things and setting plans and goals out because we think once we achieve it, we're gonna feel in a certain way, right? So when I get that promotion, I'll feel financially secure and validated and you know, worthy and all those things. And she kind of wants you to reverse engineer it and say, okay, how do I wanna feel? And what would I do today if I felt that way? Because otherwise you, you know, as soon as you get to that place, you'll feel the same way often that you do now or something different that's still unsatisfying and then set your next goal.
1: Yeah. And there's always, there's always more to do, right? I mean, I think one thing that I feel wary of is in our coaching world, a lot of people are like abundance and have an abundance mindset and make sure. And um, I don't know if you've read the book The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist, but one thing that she talks about is how really, like abundance and scarcity are kind of the same energy because scarcity is kind of sticking with like not enough, never enough, and with abundance, right? Well how do you know when you get to the place of abundance? right? There's always more that can be earned or gained or done. and instead she she talks about bringing in a mindset of sufficiency, which is I have enough today in this moment to do what I want to today in this moment. And I find that to be so liberating and freeing to be like, oh, right for me and my business. It's not about a year from now. It's not about a month from now. It's do I have enough for today to be here and to be content? And it's just so easy to get ahead of ourselves.
0: Oh, that's super interesting. You'll have to tell me what book that is again, so I can put it in the show notes. What was the name of it?
1: it's called the soul of money. Okay.
0: Um,
1: And her name is Lynn. I think L Y N N E twist is her. Okay.
0: Yeah. The self-sufficiency. Was that what you said versus scarcity or abundance? I love that. That's great. And when you, when you said, when you were talking about, you know, getting there or whatever um, I know that a lot of us feel like we can only make a move if we have everything figured out. Right. So we know exactly what's going to happen. And that was a big thing for me when I was in corporate, right? I wasn't really happy, but I couldn't figure out, or I didn't know for sure what else I could do where I could make the same income and this, you know, all the various things and be happier. And so you talk about like doing things before you have your master plan figured out. How do you help women do that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, again, it, a lot of it is really informed by how do you want to feel and then trusting yourself enough to have faith to take a step i do a lot around experimentation and one of the things that i love about experimentation is that when you're you know in a high school chemistry class you're not you're not setting out an experiment to find the answer you're testing a hypothesis And for so many of us who are really good at certainty uh, or we needed to be, I just want to know the answer. Um, A lot of times to be like, oh, okay, I'm just testing a hypothesis. It's not a value judgment. It's not that I am deficient if it's wrong. It's a test, right? So you make a hypothesis, which is a guess, and then you run through some methods and you collect data and then you use that data to determine, did you prove or disprove the hypothesis? And then you start over and then you start over. And I know for me, like, that's kind of how I live my life. And what, what we think is that, okay, let me do that a few times and then I'll get to the place of certainty. When in fact, it's like, I don't, I feel mostly uncertain all the time. And like, I'm really operating for my best guess and I'm okay. Right. Like it's actually served me really well to be able to show up to my life from that place of faith. and trusting myself trusting my intuition and not only has it served me but like it's actually allowed me to do more and different things than if i was just following the rules
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah absolutely well so one last thing i wanted to ask you about and it's sort of like an outlier from what we've talked about so far but i know you were recently diagnosed with adhd mm-hmm. and you know i actually interviewed a, another podcast uh, host who I absolutely adore. She's the podcast host of the Shameless Mom Academy. Um, and we talked about perfectionism. And she also was recently diagnosed with ADHD and got a lot of sort of aha moments from that and sort of introspection. So can you talk about that and and what you've learned?
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I've learned so much um, in that. And I was diagnosed like four months ago. So it is very, very recent and for me right it's it's also been another another confirmation of my own inner knowing it's something that i've thought that i probably had for year many many years and that when i've talked to various people about it they've typically been like oh you're fine because i was so good at um keeping everything going right like i took care of my kids i showed up for my business i got stuff done And for me, one of the big turning points in really seeking out my diagnosis came when I, when I started to recognize um, that, like they'll say, and when you read lists of symptoms and all of that, that in order for it to be a diagnosable disorder, um, it has to impact your life in a negative way. Right. And I think that that for me was something where like, looking around, nobody would say that it impacted my life. I mean, I'm messy, right? I have piles, but it's not like a big deal. Um, Who doesn't have a lot of piles around. But for me, when I realized like, oh, it's affecting me internally, right? Like internally, I am holding on so tightly and like, I cannot keep holding on this tightly. And so that was for me, what, what really got me to seek out my diagnosis. And I think that I've heard from, since since I got my diagnosis and talked about it openly, and for anyone who's listening, I have a, like hour-long podcast where I go into a lot more detail about it, but so many women who are high-performing have either said, like, I was also just re- recently diagnosed or who heard my podcast episode about it and then sought out a diagnosis for themselves and was like, everything makes sense now. Um, it's been really, really eye-opening where it's like, oh, my God everything makes sense now. And it's not that like for so long, I thought the answer was like, Tiffany just needs to try harder um, because that's what we're taught. And that wasn't the answer. And like,
0: there's so much freedom in that. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. And so I know we're coming to the end of our time here, but if, if women are listening to this and they are in that space of sort of overachieving, overworking, underliving, just kind of gritting their teeth through life. Is there anything you kind of want to share with them to kind of take away and get started?
1: Um I think the the very first place to play is that like it can be different and that really offering the idea that finding a different way doesn't mean that you have to check out or become lazy or not care about things your effort is not the thing that determines your value and your worth. And it's not the thing that determines how much you care about everything that's important to you. And that there, there's a much more true way that you can show up to all of it. And it, it's really expansive. So I think just like leaving people with that idea and like, that is the truth and letting that sit with people because so, so long we're like, Oh, that sounds great. But you don't understand I'm so, you don't understand. I'm so busy. Um, and it's like, no, no, no. It's so it's so much better on the other side. And that was something that I heard a lot about sobriety. Before I quit drinking, I was like obsessed with listening to people's sobriety stories, uh, which is a sign. Um, <laughs> and I would always hear people talk about how much better their relationships were, how much better their friendships were in sobriety. And I just could not imagine that. And it's something that like, has absolutely been true for my experience. Like, oh, everything is so much richer when I am showing up fully as myself. So I think that this is another way that that, like it just gets richer and richer. And we have to be able to believe it in order to start to take those steps.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I know women are gonna wanna get in touch with you, follow up with you, learn about your grown-up gap years. So how can they do that?
1: Yeah. So I'm super easy to find. Um, you can search my name, Tiffany Hahn. It's spelled H-A-N, Han like solo, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And my podcast has been around for seven years. So there's <laughs> weekly podcasts for seven years. There's lots of episodes to dive into. Um, my website is tiffanyhan.com, and I'm on Instagram at the Tiffany Hahn.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more.
1: It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol.